Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Jocelyn Church, who has written a new book, Mind to Matter, that uh, is going to explore some very interesting topics that we'll discuss in a few minutes. You may know Dawson from a previous interview I did with him and his work in the field of EFT. He clearly is one of the leading researchers in EFT and has brought a level of scientific legitimacy to the value of this powerful tool. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Joe, thanks for having me again. And it's wonderful to be here and to be part of your community and support your work. All right. Well, it was a great book and interesting. I think we maybe we can just open up on a few things. Like if you can discuss the story that's related in your book on, on how writing the book occurred and how you got a publisher. And actually, we share the same publisher, Hay House. Yes. So that's uh, really exciting. So it, it had to do, it revolves around serendipity and, and the, so maybe you can describe serendipity and discuss this experience because it really is quite profound and novel and you would never think in a million years something like this would happen. You wouldn't. And I was actually one of those people who was very focused on the effects of energy therapies in the physical body. So I've done, like I did the first triple blind randomized controlled trial of cortisol and showing how EFT affects cortisol levels. So I've been very focused on immunoglobulins and on brain waves and on, on hormones, all the things we can measure in the body. And then I had some friends who were kind of more on the energy end of the spectrum. And like, I have a friend at Harvard who's a psychiatrist says, yeah, Dawson, but it's the energy that's making those molecules be the way they are. And I was always a little bit skeptical about that. But I began <laughs> with him and others, Dean Radin, Roland McCready, all these people we all know. And um, they all said, Dawson, it's the energy. And there is a really direct chain of causation between our thoughts and things. And I thought, well, if I look at all the links in that chain, I'm sure I'll find a lot of broken links. So I began to look at the studies, the primary research, every single step in that chain from thought to thing. And Joe, I was just blown away. There are no broken links. You can just show every single step in that chain from thought to thing with a peer-reviewed journal publication, often dozens of them. And it's, it's just remarkable to me how our thoughts literally create things in our bodies and all around us. Yes, and uh, I, I think maybe the more correct term of the term you use in the book is called synchronicities. So you can, can you describe the series of synchronicities that occurred that led to, the, to your writing book? Yes, all kinds of things had to happen for the book to occur. And I was so amazed, just one tiny one was that um, I was working on the chapter where, in fact, there's a chapter on synchronicity. And initially I thought, when I did the proposal for Hay House, I thought, okay, I know Carl Jung wrote a book on this. I know they happen in my life pretty often. And uh, I'm sure that I'll have some great stories to tell about people's lives and synchronous events in their lives. And I thought it'll be a short chapter, just a few stories, and they'll cover synchronicity. It's the longest chapter in the book. It's now packed with science. And one of those synchronicities, just one of many, was that I was writing this chapter, and I wanted to understand these things called field line resonances. And these are a big scientific concept. And essentially, the, the Earth is like a giant magnet, has a North Pole, South Pole, but it has these lines of magnetic flux around the planet. And as the solar wind goes by the Earth, it literally plucks these magnetic force lines like strings on a violin. And so I want to know more about this really fascinating but very complex subject. And so I was, I was speaking at a conference with Dr. Joe Dispenza. He invited me to talk at one of his conferences. I, I flew down to, to Cancun to do that. I discovered I double booked myself that weekend. And I was supposed to speak both in Cancun, which is in, in the Caribbean, and also in San Rafael, California, other side of the continent. I I'd inadvertently double booked myself. So I had to speak in Cancun on the Saturday, jump on a plane Sunday morning, fly to the Bay Area, speak in San Rafael. And after my talk, they put me on a, on a science panel. And on the science panel was Roland McCready, who had just done the most remarkable piece of research, the authoritative paper on field line resonances. He told me all about it. So all throughout the writing, writing of the book, synchronously, the piece of information just fell into my lap that I needed to put this whole big, big project together, explaining how our thoughts literally are shifting molecules, atoms, and even the four fundamental forces of physics around us. 
Well, let's give a tangible example for people. Uh, and you share a really interesting one in your book about finding your lost keys when you were in Hawaii. <laughs> that was uncanny. I go to this place often in Hawaii called Poipu, has a big bay, has a turtle colony on a reef about a quarter of a mile offshore. And I love swimming there. The water is between seven and 12 feet deep. And on one trip, I was under a tight deadline. And so I was putting all my scuba and snorkeling equipment in the back of a Jeep. I drive to wherever I was going. I then swim for a while, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, then throw it back in the Jeep and head back to the hotel. And so on this particular day, it was uh, late in the afternoon and I enjoyed my swim. I snorkeled all over this, this big bay, got back to the Jeep, put my hands in my pocket to grab the keys no keys. And I realized that I not only got the car keys in there, I clipped the hotel key, the condo key to the car keys. So now my keys were lost and I, had a, I, I thought I just have to get back in the water and try and find them. So I, I spent about an hour. Now I didn't panic. That, that, that's the big thing. I talk a lot in the book about synchronous mind and being in synchrony with the universe. But I got into that state of just, just synchrony of heart coherence, feeling totally fine, no panic, and I swam around the, this bay looking for them. But again, this is a big bay, and I'm, I'm looking for two tiny keys lost <laughs> in coral 10 to 12 feet deep. There's, you know, there's no logical way of finding them. But my intuition said, just do this. And then as dusk began to fall, this father and three sons, teenagers, got into the water for a last swim before the daylight failed. And I, my intuition said, just go talk to them. So I swam up to these four men and I said to them, you guys have been diving down to the bottom. I've been noticing you see, see you dive to the bottom. Did you by any chance find anything in the coral down there? And the youngest boy held up my keys. Now the <laughs> things happening are infinitesimally small, but when those things happen to you, Joe, again and again and again and again and again, it's like the universe saying to you, hey, whoop, pay attention, something's going on here. And so synchronously, when we're in sync, when we're in that state of, of heart coherence, when we meditate, when we tap away our stress, we enter that space of what I call non-local mind. And in non-local mind, we have access to information we don't have at the level of local mind. And so I begin the book and end the book with this really powerful plea to make that your life, that you aren't living your life just kind of limited by what you see and the conditioning of your local mind, that you open yourself to meditation every day to the, the mystery of non-local mind. It's making the, the earth rotate. It's, it's, it's making the birds migrate to various parts of the world. It's, it's helping the humpback whales go from the, 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 the equator to the poles. Non-local mind is doing all kinds of miracles in science, in our lives, in nature all the time. And if we just open ourselves to that level of information, we gain access to levels of consciousness and knowing that are far beyond the ones we have at the level of our small little local minds. So would this be similar to a flow state that you're describing? Absolutely, athletes in flow. And the interesting thing too, is as I've hooked people up to EEGs, and we're now using MRIs as well, we find that the athlete in the flow state is in this remarkable state of phase where their brain waves are in phase. So in the book, I have examples of EEGs from people not in phase. If you look at the EEG of somebody who's angry or frustrated or processing a negative emotion, you find that their, their brain waves are really not in step. But if you look at the EEG of that athlete in flow, all of their brain waves are in synchrony. And if you look at the brainwaves of a Tibetan monk who spent 10,000 hours meditating, that Tibetan monk is in synchrony. If you go look at the, the brainwaves of, of a Franciscan nun who has had these trans, transformational, transcendent experiences of oneness with the divine, their waves are in synchrony. If you look at the brainwaves of somebody like an artist or a pianist, a musician, who is in that state of, of composing a masterpiece, their brainwaves are in synchrony. The scientist having an epiphany in the lab, his or her brains are in synchrony. I have one story about affecting matter where there was this kid who was assigned to a lab at MIT 
and the uh, just a, a young undergraduate. And so this is a, this is a lab where they had one particular rite of passage, and the pa rite of passage was that they had to learn to precipitate sodium crystals out of a super saturated solution. And it was really hard to make this happen. So the lab head knew that uh, this was a task that everyone, everyone there had to do, but it was so difficult that many people had a, really struggled with this for a long time. So this young student who was assigned to the lab arrived there and he knew that this had to be done, but no one had told him it was hard. <laughs> so he just did it. And the lab supervisor came by and saw that on his first day he'd done this and said, how did you do that? And he said, oh, it's easy. He did it again. And this kid just could, could precipitate those sodium crystals out of that solution easily every time because no one had told him that it was hard. <laughs> so those people are in this flow state with their brainwaves in synchrony. Writers, creators, monks, nuns, people in spiritual states, people doing extreme sports, flow athletes, all of these people, what they have in common is what I call synchronous mind. And you hook them up to an EEG, and it's not a figure of speech. It's literally a flow state you can, you can actually measure in the brain and then recreate that. So it's not a mystery anymore. We know the formula. We can reproduce the formula. We can train anybody to acquire that kind of a state. What does the flow state actually look like, or the, the synchronous state on the EEG? Is it, is it like a 19, 21 channel EEG and you've got yes. all the different channels in the same, they're coherent and all going up and down at the same time, which is very different than a typical EEG? Very different. They're all going up and down at the same time and they look like they're in sync. And so in, a, in an EEG of somebody who's just in a, uh, a neutral state or certainly a negative emotion will do this, if mm -hmm. I just use my fingers to track over here. So... Uh, their, their brain waves are going to look very jagged, like mm -hmm. the peaks of the Himalayas, the peaks of the Rockies. But if somebody is in a coherent state, you'll see that all the parts of their brain are functioning. And the worst is stress. Prolonged stress produces havoc in people's ability to process information. So you see this kind of pattern, and you can tell right away when you hook someone up to an EEG what's going on. Now what we also see happening is in these creative people, we have lots of low frequency waves, delta. Mm -hmm. And in the book, what, what I became, there, there are two or three things in the book, Joe, that I became really curious about. So one was about how energy shapes matter. But I was not that interested in exogenous fields, fields outside of our bodies, because I just didn't have the space in the book to cover those. But I became incredibly interested in what our own brain waves do to our cells. And so I limit the first half of the book talking about what the waves you generate in meditation do to your cells. And it is absolutely stunning. Like Delta, those slow Delta waves, uh, early EEG equipment, in fact, up till a few years ago, we never even made equipment to measure really slow delta waves below one cycle per second. Mm. Now, for example, there's a study showing that telomere regeneration is sparked by 0.19 cycles per second. So really? in the I have this graph showing the, these 10 telomerase factors being produced by your body. And uh, there's no action, no action at, at, at point. 0.10 hertz, 0 0.11, 0 0.112, 0 0.113, 1.14, 1.15, 1.16, 1.17, 0.119, bam, huge spike in telomerase regeneration drops mm. back down at 0 0.20. So this is just one-fifth of a second in terms of brainwave production, yet it's, it's stimulating massive telomerase regeneration in our cells in the delta band. And we see huge improvements, huge increases in delta amplitude when you hit the right type of meditation. I was at a, at a, a workshop, an EFT workshop, where we were meditating and doing EFT with having four people hooked up in each corner of the room to EEGs as we did all this work. And the, the neuroscientist who was running the experiment was sitting in the corner watching the screens. And at lunchtime, I checked in with her and said, what did, what did you see after the first day? And she was beside herself. She said, Dawson, I was watching Delta so big, I had to literally zoom my screen out to four times the aspect ratio to capture that much Delta. I've never seen that much Delta before. And that wasn't enough. I had to zoom out to 16 times 
fuel the delta these people were making. So again, huge, huge amplitudes in the delta band, which is uh, a key band sparking regeneration of important sure. cells and molecules in our bodies. I'm just curious as to how you measure the telomerase activity. I had the opportunity to sit with uh, Bill Andrews, who's probably who is the discoverer of the telomerase enzyme and developed a pretty close friendship with him a few weeks ago. And uh, I'm just, is that something you did in, in vitro or is it in vivo? Were you actually doing blood tests for that? Or how, how did you assay that enzyme? Yeah, and that was a study done by somebody else, not by me. And so, uh, and there was a, a huge amount of data that they gathered. All I picked out was one graph in their study to highlight in the book. And that one graph is showing how these 10 factors which um, together come together to, to show our level of telomerase production uh, mm. are, are amplified by that one little frequency uh, in, in the band. So these are called frequency windows. So mm. I, I looked at, I, I just really, I dug through all the literature and some of it's like really well-known uh, researchers in science and nature publishing this stuff. Other times it's the Bohemian Academy of Sciences and their typewritten uh, report and it, it, stuff is so obscure you have to find some of it in, in these in these far-flung places other times it's really mainstream research but it's all based on those frequency windows what what a certain frequency that we generate during meditation does to to our, our bodies another example is in theta for example there are studies showing that certain of the theta frequencies stimulate stem cell production so literally you hit a certain frequency maybe 7.5 hertz 7.8 hertz 7.8 hertz is a magic frequency it's the schumann frequency and it's associated with all kinds of positive changes in in our body so i already lay out all of the studies that show how pervasive the changes are as a result of these frequencies we generate naturally in meditation. Okay, great, thanks. Um, so I, you may, as a viewer, you might be wondering why we're talking about this because there are some biological and health benefits. And I think one of them is going to be the treatment of cancer. We have uh, 1,600 people, yes, 1,600 people every day dropping dead from cancer, not getting the diagnosis, just dropping dead from cancer in the United States. But if you live in China, that number is 8,100 people dying every day. Wow. So uh, the, it's very clear in my mind, there is just no question that the metabolic theory of cancer is really valid. It's, it's a biological, physiological process to optimize uh, that treatment. But the, the leading cancer biologist in the world, Dr. Tom Seafree, who established that theory, is really adamant about that the variable that's a, that you need to account for is stress and cortisol. And if you fail to do that, even with the best metabolic physiological therapies, you will fail. So that's, a, that's one reason, cancer but there's many others. So before we discuss those though, I want you to give us a simple, you take the, the sequence and how you want to describe it, but I really want to get your recommendations and advice on how we enter into this coherent flow state. Yeah, and uh, that is the crucial thing. How do you enter into the state and how do you do it quickly? Like I, I've been intrigued by these studies of Tibetan monks, but that Richard Davidson did these, Andrew Newberg has been doing these. But again, these are people who've been meditating for 10,000 plus hours in their lifetimes. Joe, you and I can't do that. Nobody in the Western world who has to make payroll and do their job and raise their kids can possibly meditate that, that length of time. So how do we get there really quickly? And what I did almost accidentally about 10, 15 years ago is I thought, you know, I wonder what would happen if you combined the quick coherence technique from HeartMath and some basic uh, biofeedback from Les Famey at Princeton, who was one of the earliest, I mean, this guy was doing biofeedback before I was born, and that was a long time ago. So Les Famey stuff on biofeedback from Princeton, if you combine that with tapping, with mindfulness, and you put them all together in, in a package. So I did that, and we're now testing that, and that's, it's a method called eco-meditation. And I, I just, basically put it on the shelf because I was so focused on getting EFT, emotional freedom techniques, into, into, into healthcare, into primary care. But now that EFT has been approved by the VA, that took 10 years, was a lot of effort, a lot of work, a lot of struggle, but it's, it's been done. It's now being used in Kaiser. It's, 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 it's such widespread use. I really turned my attention back to eco-meditation. Before you continue with eco-meditation, yes. because I definitely want you to discuss that. 
Uh, you and I have known about EFT for decades, but there are a number of people here who don't know what EFT is. So if you can just give a brief description of that. Uh, yes. Well, EFT has been around for a long time. In the 1970s, a psychologist called Roger Callahan was experimenting with applying acupressure to the body for psychological ailments like phobias, anxiety, and depression. I did a series of randomized controlled trials of EFT with war veterans, people who are having flashbacks, nightmares, and so on. And we find what happens is that if they use acupressure, so again, uh, with oriental medicine, the, the use of acupuncture is there to correct energy imbalances in the body, to correct for imbalances in the energy flows of the body. And so that's putting needle into the acupuncture points. But acupressure is just simply tapping on those points or rubbing or applying pressure to those points. When we, for example, do that with veterans, we find that they, they, they quickly lose symptoms like flashbacks, nightmares, and intrusive thoughts. So there's now over 100 clinical trials of EFT showing that the simple acupressure-based method rapidly alleviates depression, PTSD, phobias, and anxiety, and does it really fast. So essentially EFT is thinking about the bad stuff in your life, really facing it, not dissociating, not pushing it away, remembering the childhood bullying, remembering the psychological trauma of, say, a car crash or, in the case of veterans of combat, and you remember the bad stuff, and then you apply acupressure to these acupuncture meridians yourself, and doing that rapidly calms the emotional part of the brain. So the person now still has the memory, but no longer has the emotional triggering. Like in an MRI study now, it's not published yet, it's coming out soon, next year, but, uh, but a colleague of mine did this with obese women, and when these obese women thought about the food they craved, their emotional brain lit up like crazy. Their whole midbrain, the limbic system was highly active in an MRI. So they were thinking about chocolate or cake or sweets or pasta, whatever it might be. And they had a big emotional reaction. She, she taught them EFT. A couple of weeks later, later, they went back into that same scanner and they thought about the chocolate, the cake, or whatever it was they craved. And the radiologist running the experiment said to my colleague, what did you do to these women? I can't believe it. They're thinking about all the same cues and their emotional brains are completely calm. So can we remove the emotional tagging from whether it's a trauma or a food, the emotional brain gets calm. That's what EFT does. That's the effect of acupressure does on the body. And that's this very simple method that you've been endorsing for almost 20 years now. Really effective, it really works. So thanks for the explanation. We'll go back to eco-medicine for, or eco-meditation for in a bit. But just a quick aside, as I recently found out of a book, Wired for Healing, written by Annie Hopper. I suspect you know who she is. And the reason I mention it, and I'm interviewing her in a few weeks, is that uh, she really provides, provide, because we don't really understand the mechanism. I mean, EFT, in my mind, is nothing short of magical. It's the closest thing to magic I've ever seen in clinical medicine, but we don't really understand why. We have some theories, but she lends some pretty, she doesn't talk about EFT in her book, but she talks about this limbic, Debt trauma to the brain and how and she has her program takes a lot longer than the EFT does, but essentially it resolves this this uh, these connections that essentially get triggered every time. And I'm, I'm thinking that it's part of the reason why EFT works. Are you, are you familiar with Hopper's work? I'm not, but generally speaking, anytime you resolve trauma with any method successfully, it has a big effect on the body. And so that's where you see cortisol go down. In a study just published in the Journal of Integrative Health, uh, we did EFT with people for a week, and it was a week-long intensive with meditation in the morning, EFT during the day, and their baseline of cortisol, Joe, went down over the course of that week. Their baseline of cortisol dropped by 37%. In a week. In fact, the lab I used to do cortisol tests, they know me now. But 10 years ago, I was getting my first cortisol samples. I was supposed to get my results like back, back in a week. This is a, a lab called Sabre Labs in Capistrano, California. Sure. So I, 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 I mailed in my, my cortisol samples, my very, very first cortisol study. And I was supposed to get my, uh, my, my, my samples back to report at a medical conference, and they didn't arrive. And the results didn't arrive from the lab that week or the next week. And the following week, I phoned the head of the company. I said, I, I'm really, you know, this is not acceptable. What's going on here? And the, the head of the company said, 
Dr. Church, I'm so sorry, but we think we're having an equipment malfunction. We're running your samples again and again and again, and we know from doing hundreds of thousands of cortisol tests that cortisol cannot fall that fast. <laughs> now they know, they get my samples in, oh yeah, it's more from Dr. Church. We know we're seeing massive drops in cortisol. So in one week in this last study being published soon, um, cortisol dropped by 37% in a week. Now what happens when cortisol goes down is it's like a teeter-totter. When cortisol goes down, DHEA goes up because mm -hmm. it's the same two precursors. And when you reduce cortisol, you then release those two precursors and DHEA goes up. So you have an improvement in all kinds of beneficial enzymes. We also measured in this last study immunoglobulins. And Joe, in that one week, their baseline immunoglobulins rose by 113%, okay? Hmm. A, more than doubling of immune function markers in just a week. So it's amazing how when you re reduce your stress by whatever method, um, the big change. And this would, I, I'm assuming this would result in a, in a decrease in the sympathetic nervous, nervous system, yeah. in, in activation of parasympathetics. Yes, and you can measure that too on an EEG, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Okay, well, thank you for indulging me in these tangents. Why don't we go back now to eco-meditation, because that is the tool that you're recommending to achieve these marvelous states and these dramatic reductions in cortisol and all the amazing benefits that that provides. Yes, and so we know now, because we've, we've looked at this in peak performers, in athletes, in business people, in financial experts, in people in meditative uh, monasteries and, and nunneries, and, and people who are already focused on meditation long-term, we know that meditation has these effects, but how do you get there quickly? You can spend an hour with your eyes closed and not be meditating, or, mm -hmm spend two minutes and enter a deep state. So how do, you, how do you get there? And I'm focused on that really intently now. And one of the definitions I used in a study with about 550 people at a Joe Dispenza workshop was, we define meditation as the ability to sustain an alpha state for 15 seconds or more. That seems like a very short amount of time, but if you can keep yourself in an alpha state and prevent yourself from dropping into a non-alpha state, then that's magic formula. Actually, in the book, I have a number of, of illustrations showing you exactly what these states look like. So we hook people up to uh, a machine. I'll try and hold this up so you can see it. It looks like that. Mm -hmm. So they're hooked up, and we can see the subject over there. We can see her brain waves on the yeah. screen behind this nice her. big 60-inch uh, screen. Uh, yeah, huge. Yeah, and so we see her brain waves, left and right hemisphere over there as she's hooked up, and then how they change is dramatic. So this is a, just a normal brain function over here, mm -hmm. and slow waves at the bottom, delta, fast gamma waves at the top, quite a bit of beta, which is the signature wave of your thinking brain, but not much alpha over here. Alpha in the middle of the range over here, not too much of it. Then we have this person think of a bad thing, the car crash, the uh, combat, stress, whatever it might be. And we see these flares, huge flares of these high waves like beta. So now they're in monkey mind, they're really getting upset. And you see how, how different these two, two graphs look. Then mm -hmm. over here, our treatment, we see these big improvements where they're having flares of alpha. So they have no alpha at all over here. Here mm -hmm. they have this big flare of alpha, far more delta and theta, and they're having gamma over here. So enormous shifts in, in their brain waves. We just measure how well they're doing. We can see where they're not doing well. We can see where the left or the right hemisphere is out of balance, and we can start to correct those. And eco-meditation, we find, puts you in that state in about four minutes. So you essentially are mimicking the breathing, the posture of that 10,000 hour plus Tibetan monk. Mm -hmm. And if you do what they do if you mimic with no belief no spiritual superstructure at all just do the physical the physiological cues to your body you go into that what we call the awakened mind state just like that i take roomfuls of people who've been fail failures at meditation and they just do these seven simple steps and they're there so it's really cool we're finding what the formula is and how anyone can, can go there fast can you tell us describe a bit more about the steps sure 
The first step is to simply relax your tongue on the floor of your mouth. When you do that, there's a nerve called the hypoglossal nerve that runs from your tongue into this nerve plexus and the vagal nerve. And so you relax your tongue on the floor of your mouth. That tells your vagal nerve that you aren't under threat and your whole body starts to relax because you can't get mad or upset. Just try it. I mean, try relaxing your tongue, then try to get mad at somebody or angry or upset and you can't do it because it's sending the vagal nerve to be in relaxation. So one, it's that simple, just one little cue. Then you do the heart math quick coherence technique and you slow your breathing down to six seconds per in-breath and six seconds per out-breath. So it's five breaths per minute and you imagine breathing in and out through your heart. Now that puts you first of all into heart coherence but into deep coherence. And I did this because HeartMath told me that what happens is that when they take meditators and they then tell them to meditate, they drop out of coherence. So I wanted to have a way of meditating that puts you into coherence, and that's what that six-second breathing does and being in your heart does. Then I have you picture a big empty space behind your eyes because in the Princeton Biofeedback Lab, they found that they could put people through a long, complicated, expensive biofeedback training or they could have a picture of big empty space behind their eyes and if you just do that you're an alpha you just have <laughs> it's so simple you don't need a machine or a lot of training you don't need anything external to yourself to do this so you do the breathing and then finally you picture a beam of love going from you to somebody who makes you feel wonderful. It could be a saint, could be a family member, could be someone you love, but you feel this beam of love in your heart. And again, that we see big, big flares of delta and theta when people do that. Then gamma starts to kick in, and gamma is the wave of happiness and also the wave of integration. Most people don't have a gamma flare that lasts more than two seconds. These Tibetans, they'll sit there for an hour having flares and we find that with eco meditation you get to that same state where you're having these big flares of this integrative brainwave called gamma at the very top of the band and then people feel totally wonderful now the cool thing that happens if you do this every day every morning mm -hmm. then you start to shift your baseline of things like immunoglobulin and cortisol so now you're lowering your cortisol your body's reaching a new homeostasis at that lower level it's getting used to that wonderful neuro neurochemical flood. There are six hormones and neurotransmitters. You can't get any other way in the same ratios other than by meditation. And you get all six of them. They have their pleasure hormones, their reward neurotransmitters. They always flood your brain and you feel that good. And then you get used to feeling good. So now that becomes your new normal state. We have one lady who wrote into us actually just, just last month and she said, I'm a stressed out mom. I'm burned out. I've been trying meditation, nothing's worked for me. I sat down to do those seven steps and my mind thought, I'll never be able to do this. And then as I did the heart breathing, she said, I just dissolved into bliss. Tears began to flow down my cheeks. Suddenly I was at the place I wanted to be all along my meditation practice. And then she said the most important thing, which was that I, I'm not committing to meditating every single day. And Joe, that really is my, my message and my goal with this new book, Mind Matter, is to inspire people to apply these things and feel good that one time to where they repeat this every day. Now, that is just magnificent. So thank you for describing that and taking the time to walk us through it. Can you um, let us know the percentage of people who are successful to do this? And, and again, I think you said the time it only takes is about four minutes to do this. And and what would be the optimal frequency if you're, if you have the luxury of time? Because most of us have four minutes. We don't have ten thousand hours to become a master no. of that month. So we have four minutes a day. That's that's a pretty small investment. It's four minutes to induce the state. But I like to keep people in the state for about fifteen or twenty minutes, okay. and then two or three minutes going out of the state. So in total. 20 to 30 minutes is, is optimal. Uh, what you do then is you get this new baseline of functioning. And if you do this at the start of each day, you then predispose yourself to having a good day. And so meditation is this baseline, but you need EFT as well because what happens is that 
10.30 rolls around, 11 o'clock rolls around, you get an email from an irate client, your mm -hmm. boss pulls you in about a project that's not going well, something happens that isn't very good, you need to be able to rapidly restore that good homeostasis, and that's where EFT is so useful. So those two things in, in, in motion. Now, you, you, you mentioned cancer, and I had no intention of writing about cancer in Mind mm -hmm. Matter. I, but the book is, there are so many cancer stories there. I'm getting goosebumps as I think about them because, uh, first of all, there are animal studies in Chapter 1 about Bill Bankston and several randomized controlled trials showing that cancer just disappears when you start to use energy techniques. But also the stories of people who apply this. And there's one, one woman, Joe, who, who did this, who's writing a book about it, and her name is, is, is Beth Meisner. So she, it's, it's a public story. But last year... In March, she got a, a breast cancer diagnosis, and the tumor was eventually measured at five centimeters, two inches, big, big tumor in her right breast. And also, they found that all of the lymph nodes under her right armpit were swollen and inflamed and full of cancerous cells. So the, the cancer now moved to her lymph system. They also then found three spots of inflammation on her right lung. And when the, the doctor at the cancer hospital told her the diagnosis, was, she was being treated at MD Anderson in Houston, a famous cancer clinic. The doctor said, normally we'd make an appointment for you to have radiation as soon as possible, and that would be next week, but I want you to actually go straight from my office right now to radiation for your first session. It's that. And she said, to her credit, I need time. And she took time, and she stepped back, and she got several more opinions, and she then said, you know, I'm not even going to get a biopsy. I'm going to work on this at the level of energy. So she emailed me. She phoned me. She was in a, in a, in a real panic. She said, Dawson, I've had a gene test, and the gene test came back showing I have eight genes that predispose me for cancer. Mm -hmm. And I said, Beth, you have 24,000 genes that are just in great shape. Let's start there. So she began to do Qigong intensively. She began to tap intensively. She began to do energy medicine exercises and also get energy medicine treatments. She cleaned up her diet. She got rid of all the stress in her life. She did a whole bunch of proactive things to shift herself to the energy level. Now, this is March. She gets the diagnosis at MD Anderson. By May, scan showed that all the lymph nodes under her right armpit were completely clear, and the tumor shrunk from 5 centimeters to 1.4 centimeters. One of her doctors said, well, it looks to me like it's, it's just necrotic. It's just dissolving. The body is removing. She, she, again, just kept doing the energy techniques. And later on, her, her blood work showed not a trace of cancer in her body. So that's the power of using energy. And that's why I urge people, whatever your, your challenge is, um, that doesn't mean this is the right, the right approach for everybody. But pay attention to stress. Pay attention to energy. It's a huge leverage point over the wellness of your body. Now, th thank you for sharing that story, and I just want to highlight something that many people may overlook, yet it's a powerful element of the story. And because if you study cancer therapy at a deep level with, from a natural perspective, you begin to understand that cancer treatments, the treatment kills far more people than the disease itself. So one of the things she, she did was, it was uh, uh, refuse the conventional therapy, of which is the needle biopsy, which can clearly has been documented to be associated with cancer meds, and the radiation, which is probably one of the worst things you can do, at least initially, and probably permanently. I mean, it's one of, you know, there's just probably a role for surgery, uh, but cancer, uh, radiotherapy and chemotherapy are things that should be avoided at all costs, because they're just going to set you back and continue. Yeah, a heart-wrenching story, too, from my own life is that while I was working on chapter one of the book, all about this, um, my sister-in-law was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, my friend, Bill Bankston, who is the, the person who teaches this method that has been shown to um, literally alleviate, make cancer go away in, in mice and also works with, with people, I wanted to hook Bill up with my sister-in-law. Sister and um, so I had this really big dilemma, you know, do I tell her, I didn't want to impose on her, her, her treatment choices. And uh, so I, 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 but I made sure she got a copy of Bill's book and my manuscript and knew the options because Bill says he can't work on people who've gone through chemotherapy and radiation right. because their immune systems are so compromised. The energy healing doesn't, doesn't, right. has, 
something to, to latch onto there. So, so my sister-in-law faced this, this choice, you know, do you go, I, I would, I would had Bill work on her personally, um, or go with chemotherapy and radiation. She went with chemotherapy and radiation, and unfortunately, she, she was dead about, about three months later. So uh, uh, the, 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 the two often don't, don't mix, and you have to make that choice. And uh, yeah, there's no, no one right choice for everybody. I'm not saying this is going to work perfectly for everyone, but what, what I'm saying is look at your energy options. What Mind to Matter shows you is that mind and consciousness and energy has an enormous effect on the matter of your cells. And if you're, if you're ignoring that leverage point, you're ignoring your biggest possible leverage point of your own health. Yeah, especially if you integrate that, you know, the avoidance of the radi radiation and the chemotherapy, uh, doing therapies or energy uh, interventions like eco-meditation, and then combining it with metabolic therapies. Yes. I think that is your best strategy. And, and really, yeah. it, it would be the one I would personally choose for myself yes. or anyone I knew, knew closely. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that I caution people in the book, okay, EFT works wonders, meditation's fabulous, you'll feel much better off to do these things, but don't then think that it's only energy and you mm -hmm. neglect things like nutrition because right. you can't. Uh, you, need, you need the best of all worlds, and uh, so you need both those things to be, to be optimizing. Well, thank you for uh, developing a process that is relatively simple to do, inexpensive. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars to get your TM mantra, and you can get the same benefits as you've got <laughs> in your research with EEG. And uh, interesting that you're working with Dispenza because he has some pretty amazing anecdotal uh, healings in his events, which consist of thousands of people, and it yes. essentially result from applying these types of meditation therapies or interventions. Yes, I've been to several of his events and uh, worked with teams of neuroscientists. We measured various things. One really cool study was a gene study I did with, with Joe. And Joe funded this very ambitious study where we actually measured the, the whole full range gene expression in people in one of his workshops. And we found that there were significant changes in eight genes. And of those eight genes, Five had to do with cancer suppression. They were genes that literally suppressed tumors, esophageal uh, uh, cancer, um, colon cancer, stomach cancer, breast cancer, uh, prostate cancer. All of those factors were upregulated by, uh, by being in Joe's meditation workshop for four or five days. So it was having profound effects on brain function and also epigenetically on gene expression. Powerful stuff. So... Now you're doing some good work there. Now, um, you had mentioned the importance of doing this on a regular basis because there's this uh, element of brain, which is called neuroplasticity, or its ability to change with time, and it's like exercise. So the more you uh, participate in an activity, the, the stronger the neurological connections become and the more likely you are to receive the benefits. So can you expand on that for a bit? Yeah, so neuroplasticity is like the hardware in our brains, the channels that conduct information, the neurons and the synapses that carry the flow of energy and information in our brains. And the ones you use the most get developed, just like a muscle you use most gets developed. But the speed of this is extraordinary. So within one hour of repeat stimulation, where there was just one synapse, now there are two. And that's in one hour of repeat stimulation. If you stimulate yourself, that, that neural bundle for weeks and days, months and years, it grows much bigger. And so eventually the software of your consciousness literally creates the hardware of your brain. And one of the most stunning stories about this I have in, in chapter one is about a TV reporter called Graham Phillips, who is a kind of a hard-bitten skeptic, but he'd heard about the benefits of meditation. So he decided to, to try out a meditation program for eight weeks. So eight-week program. And he went into Modash University, and a team of experts there examined him minutely, and they did MRIs of every single region of his brain. Very, very detailed, high-resolution MRIs of his brain regions, after which he began to meditate regularly and be mindful over the course of his, his, his day. After two weeks, he found behaviorally he was much less stressed. And then after eight weeks, went back into, into the lab. And again, they spent a whole day going over all of these tests with him and also doing a second MRI 
to measure the volume of different parts of his brain. And Joe, this, this number sounds so crazy. It's almost like science fiction. Mm-hmm. But they examine a part of the, the hippocampus, the memory and learning center, that has to do with, with the regulation of emotion. So this is when you get, when you're in a, in traffic and you want to get impatient when you're standing in line at the grocery store and you you feel upset with people when somebody does something or says something that upsets you how how do you fly off the handle or do you have a good ability to regulate those emotions so the dentate gyrus is the part of the hippocampus that coordinates that network of neurons that regulates emotion they found that in eight weeks his dentate gyrus the volume of tissue in the dentate gyrus grew by 22.8%, okay? 22% growth in neural tissue volume in the emotional regulation part of his brain in only eight weeks. So that's the speed at which our brains are literally remodeling themselves based on our consciousness, just our thoughts, our feelings, and our ability to be centered and give ourselves in a peace. It's, it's not just a, a feel-good practice. It's literally reshaping the content inside your skull. So getting back to eco-meditation with respect to some of the pragmatic implementation strategies, what time of day do you find the best, or does it matter? My guess is that probably as long as you're doing it, it doesn't matter, but are, do you find that people are more successful in implementing this if they do it in the morning when they first wake up or before they go to bed? Uh, I think most of have difficulty trying to carve time out in the middle of the day. Yes. And I advocate doing it early in the day because when you wake up, your brain waves go from, you have lots of delta and theta when you sleep. So delta is the brain wave of non-rapid eye movement, deep sleep. Theta is the brain wave of rapid eye movement, sleep. And so when you're sleeping, you have lots of theta and delta and you have also quite a big alpha bridge as you start to wake up. So the alpha is the, that middle brain wave between beta and gamma, and those slow brain waves of theta and delta. And so if you wake up and the first thing you turn your attention to is being in that alpha state, that dreamy state, and meditating, then you capture all the benefits of that theta and delta you have when... Mm state. And so I see this as that extending that sleep state out into your, your waking state. Now, most people in our society don't do that. They, they wake up in the morning, they start thinking about the day ahead. Mm-hmm. Many people look at their smartphone or turn on their, their, oh. their laptop. And, you know, uh, a huge number of people, over 60% of people, that's the first thing they do. And I can tell you that will, whatever you see on your smartphone and Google News, will not make you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. It will not make those people who run Google News and Fox News and CNN, their job is not to make you happy. Their job is to get you engaged. In fact, their job is to get your emotions all wild up and make sure you have lots of beta, lots of monkey mind, and no no theta, delta, and alpha. So you don't want to be doing that to yourself in the morning. You want to be waking up in the morning and then orienting to what I call non-local mind. When you're in that state of, of, of just being one with the universe, you wake up, you enter that state of bliss, and then you start your day that way, you then condition synchronicity, you mm-hmm. condition creative thinking. In some of the research I talk about in Mind to Matter, the researchers find that people are, their, their, their problem-solving ability goes up by 260% when they're in that state, that their creativity doubles. Their, their productivity at work increases dramatically. So you're, you're now a far more productive human being when you finally do go to work if you invest at the start of the day in that time of meditation. Okay, another refinement on the question uh, involves the uh, acknowledgement of the importance of sleep. And you know, Matthew Walker is a professor out at Berkeley, I think, and a lot of good sleep research and uh, really surpri- comes up with surprising information, but essentially it boils down to the point that sleep is a lot more important than we ever thought it was. So uh, you wanna optimize that, but it would seem to me the benefits of eco-meditation, if you have a really uh, clustered life where there's very little free time, that you could even sacrifice some of your sleep and add, and add the eco-meditation to it and probably get just as much benefit as you were if you're sleeping. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, uh, there are a lot of sayings in meditation. I'm very lucky to know some meditation masters who give, give me deep insights into this. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the sort of truisms in the whole world of meditation, and again, this is the, these are traditions thousands of years old. They say that one hour of meditation is worth two hours of sleep. Wow. And that you need to do it early in the morning. Uh, another phrase from the same master is that he, he says, the gods come to earth every morning at 5 a.m. with their <laughs> full of gifts for humankind. And they leave at 6.30 with their baskets still full. Because <laughs> people are waking up to take advantage of them. So when you wake up, and I, I had to it was really hard. I had to retrain myself to wake up at 5.30. But I did that. I meditate then for about 45 minutes. And Joe, things start to change again. Your energy level starts to shift. Your creativity improves. Your ability how long, to... How long ago was that? Yeah. Oh, oh that was... Uh, well, uh, I'll tell you, I tell, I tell the story in, um, in another book, actually, but I, I was in a real crisis in my life when I was 45 years old. And I had one business that was really doing well and one that was really doing badly. And I was, I was also a single, single parent of two kids, and I was just running myself ragged. I was so stressed. And uh, I, I talked to a coach one day about my predicament, and she said, well, how often do you meditate? And I said, there's no way I apply for meditation. And when I said those words, Joe, they hung in the air in front of me. I have no time for meditation. <laughs> They're like a thought bubble in a cartoon. And I just knew my, the answer was needed to start meditating. So I, I, I began to set my alarm clock an hour early because my kids had to be at school by 7.30. Mm -hmm. So I, I began to get up at 5.30 and I was doing an hour every day. But suddenly my life began to change. Everything began to shift and, and change for the better. So... Uh, I think early is good, and for me, it made a world of difference. I, I got out of the, the dead-end job I was in. I started a new career. I began mm -hmm. to write my, my, my romantic life, my financial life, my health, all kinds of things shifted with that commitment. So um, it is well worth setting the alarm clock half an hour early. Also, I really believe in going to bed at a decent time. I sure. don't think at night works. I think all of your advice on your side about screens being bad for us late at night is true that uh, a reasonable bedtime, no screen time before you go to bed, that stimulates all kinds of beneficial changes to your body. Early meditation sets you off on the right path each day. EFT then gets you back on the path when you're stressed, and you suddenly find you have a highly rich point over many problems in your life. Everything begins to change. And how long was it before you noticed a difference when you first started that process? Was it a few weeks, a few months? Within a year, I had finished a book that a publisher had been audit me to write for about 15 years. I finished my PhD, which I, I started about 20 years before that. Uh, my financial life began to flourish. So within, within a year, uh, everything was different. And within probably three or four weeks, we began to see changes. So that, that two months in that Graham Phillips study is, is about right. Now, what research also shows is that even a small dose of meditation, like 10 minutes, that begins to produce measurable improvements in as little as 10 days. So uh, doing a half an hour is great. Over the course of a year or more is wonderful, but 10 minutes in 10 days will usually begin to show you a difference. That's good because uh, we don't want to give people misinformation or false expectations and do it for two or three days or a week even and not notice any benefits and say, well, this is okay, just like I thought it was initially and then they're gonna stop. So. I think the recommendation is to hang in there, try it for a few months or so, and then notice the benefits or the changes. Well, try it, but try a method of meditation that works for you. Like eco-meditation is so simple because you have to relax your tongue and you just breathe in that six second rhythm and you picture a big empty space behind your eyes so you don't have to still your mind because that's what meditation teachers often say, oh, just still your mind. I can't, I've never been a bit in my mind. It's like, monkey mind. Mind? are you kidding? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so something physiological that gives you these cues that doesn't rely on any kind of ability to change the way you are in a substantial way mentally or emotionally, because that's a big challenge. And I'm wondering if you can give us an example of the EFT strategy you would recommend, because you're recommending, you're advising that you combine that with equal meditation for the stresses that will come up later in the day. So can you 
show us or recommend how you would implement that EFT intervention? Yeah, and uh, a brilliant psychiatrist after World War II, medical Joseph Wolpe, came up with a scale we use in EFT called the Subjective Units of Distress Scale, or SUD. And he was working with, with veterans of World War II, and he was, he was trying to help them get over shell shock and what we would now call PTSD. And he used that, that scale to measure how successful he was. And so zero on the scale means I have no emotional triggering. 10 means I'm about as upset as I possibly could be. So when you're going through the day and you get to an event that happens, the email you read, the phone call you have, the personal interaction you encounter, and your, your level, your SUD score starts to get up high. So now you're a three, or a four, or a five, or a six, maybe even a 10. Mm -hmm. That's when you tap. In eco meditation initially, you'll find that when you get done with that in the morning, you'll be down to a low number. But then when things happen to dysregulate you, and again, we know internally your cortisol is now rising, your DHA is falling, your serotonin and dopamine levels are getting out of whack, all these things are happening internally because you feel bad, and your SAD score is rising. So when that happens during the day, you tap, and usually within two minutes, you reduce your SAD score down to a low number, often a zero, and you then go about your day. Now you're much calmer, and you're able to proactively move through your day with this little technique to help yourself recover. Your recovery time is really fast. After a while, again, you develop a, a different and new homeostasis where your irritability, your, resent, your resentment levels, your, your level of guilt, shame, anger, blame, all of these negative emotions starts to go way down. You then get used to feeling that good. You want to then feel good so you keep on doing those techniques. So it's a self-reinforcing loop. And Jeannie, in your genes, I call this the epigenetic health cycle, where you, you do these things, you feel better, you then do more of them, you feel better still, mm -hmm. bad things happen, you correct yourself, and you have this positive upward spiral. And it's just a standard EFT protocol, so even though I'm feeling whatever, I totally love and forgive myself and just tap on all the points. Yes, that's what we do. It's that simple. Okay. Perfect. All right, so what, one of the areas you'd also discuss in the book is that healing can be learned. And we talked about the uh, value of eco-meditation for cancer, but it also it's just not cancer. I mean, it's for pretty much any disease. And wouldn't it be nice to have a strategy that can help us heal. So can you expand on that concept and uh, how we learn this and what type of conditions is useful for it? Yeah, I was just blown away when I began to look at brain waves and the research showing what they do in the body. And uh, some of the studies, for example, are looking at a frequency like in the middle of the theta band, we have the 7.81 hertz uh, frequency. And so I began looking at what does 7.81 hertz do to cells? And I came across these studies, mostly done by electrical engineers. They, they had no thought of healing at all, but they would pass 7.81 hertz through a cell culture and say, gee, isn't this cool? The DNA replication is getting much more effective at that, uh, at that frequency level. Um, in research I looked at and talk about in Mind to Matter, for example, certain frequencies stimulate the reproduction of stem cells. So certain very specific frequency windows make your stem cells divide and you have more stem cells. But other frequencies on a meditation make them migrate. Now you need three things with stem cells. You, you need replication, but you need migration. They have to be able to travel to where they're required and then you need a third thing, which is adhesion. And so these three different frequencies found in meditation, one makes them divide, one makes them migrate, and one makes them stick, adhesion to where they're needed so they can repair parts of your body. That's just one example of, of, of these kinds of improvements. In the book, though, I have a list of the, at the end of chapter two, I have a list of the conditions that are treated successfully with energy healing. And I, I maintain a list of these on my, my nonprofit website. So there's a long list of over 600 studies. And they show that everything from A to Z, Alzheimer's, ADHD, addictions, all of these A ailments, all of them improved by energy therapies. And it all just goes down the list. And it, it's amazing that when you regulate your energy, whatever your, see, see, it's not working on the disease. The disease is, a symptom of the dysregulation of your system. Like cancer, for example, those cancer cells 
can't live in a normal, healthy body. They can only live in a body which is dysregulated. And so you want to, you want to improve all of those factors that are dysregulating you. Then you see a pervasive upward spiral and good effect on your health generally. So maybe it's what we train people to do too. In our live workshops, we train people to see their disease as the wake up call and a message from their body. So the pain isn't something that's there to annoy you or to hurt you or to or to, to compromise your quality of life, it's a signal. It's your body saying, hey, pay attention to me. Something's not right here. And if you pay attention to the small little things in your body, we find this with obesity especially, people who are overweight or obese, they quit listening to their body and they try and suppress their pain. They take these things called pain killers because they don't want to hear the messages from their body. But if you keep ignoring it, eventually your body has to produce some sort of huge, big, trumpet call for you to pay attention but if you listen to that little subtle twinge you get before it becomes a big screaming pain then if you're listening to your body you're making friends with your body you're accepting and working with those messages from your body then suddenly you're you're paying attention to them and then you're correcting when it's small your body that does not have to escalate it into some huge disease for you to pay attention well, great and how do you teach your body to learn how to heal. So the same process we discussed earlier with the eco-meditation and then the adjunctive use of EFT when you have these uh, stimuluses that increase your uh, distress. You know, Joe, the more I learn about the body, the more I see that the body is a healing machine. The body heals naturally. The body just automatically heals. You have to do something pretty radical to stop the body from healing. <laughs> yeah, that's its natural, natural course. It I mean, load it up with sugar and stress and things like that, you can get in the way of healing, but your body is just a, an amazing healing machine that, you know, the way cells proliferate, and, and we, we, our bodies are made to heal, all you have to do is get out of the way. Get out of the way by stuffing things in your mouth, stuffing things in your mind, stuffing things in your environment that, that, that hurt you and don't work for you. But if you just quit doing the bad stuff, then your body is naturally going to heal. Now, sometimes I do believe, and I've had people in my EFT workshops, for example, and um, not, not a lot, but a few people who I, I believe do need an external stimulus. And one example is qi. There are qigong masters who talk about external qi. And sometimes I say to somebody, you know, you need to go see an energy healer. You need a boost energetically to get the process going. Go get acupuncture. Go see an energy medicine uh, uh, practitioner. Go see a therapist. You need that external push uh, for some, some people's bodies. But for most of us who are in reasonably good shape, if we just quit doing the things, especially the stressful thoughts, like I'll hook people up to an EEG, I'll get them in a nice relaxed state, all the, the dials and, and, and lights are blinking green. They look as though they're doing wonderfully well on an EEG and a heart coherence monitor. Then I'll say, think one negative thought and all the lights on the control panel turn red. And if you're thinking those negative thoughts every day, if you're watching the news, if you're listening to negative input from media, then you're turning those lights red every day and you're really hurting your body, driving your cortisol up, degrading your level of physiological function. So quit doing that. <laughs> I have 30 practices in mind to, mind to matter. I have 30 things to do, grounding yourself, um, being in a positive energy environment in terms of media and people. I have 30 practices. And if you do those 30 practices, just the ones that work well for your lifestyle, mm -hmm. then again, you're going to make a huge difference in your, your physical health and your emotional health. Well, uh... That I want to congratulate you on compiling such a beneficial resource for all of us and, such a, and doing it in a way that's easy to understand. I mean, I read the book, but I wasn't as compelled to do the eco meditation. But after dialoguing with you personally, I'm going to commit to it. And that we're recording this shortly before 2019. So I hope to enter 2019 flying with regular eco meditation. The way I can justify it is to, that I can wake up a little bit earlier and still get the same benefits <laughs> of sleep because I've been obsessive compulsive about getting. I'm really close to eight hours of sleep at night or more. So uh, if you can get the same benefits or similar benefits and subtract and even more benefits, actually, the two to one is the, is the monks were saying, then you know, that's a good deal. You can justify the use of it. So thanks for that. The name of the book, Mind to Matter. Uh, it's going to be available shortly if it isn't available already. 
and I would definitely pick it up. I mean, this what you've heard is just a taste of what's in the book. So thank you so much for writing it. Joe, I'm so glad that you're inspired to meditate because you're, you're a precious human being. You, you inspire millions and millions of people and me. I, I read your newsletter. I just, I just <laughs> open it first thing when it, when it, when it arrives. And, and so, after you meditate. <laughs> after I meditate. <laughs> so you, you move the needle on people being aware of these things. I so appreciate that. And so um, when we do that, when we actually commit and say, I will meditate, and I, that's what I do at the end of my talks. I, I, I want to inspire people. Like I was with, with Tony Robbins's group. I, Tony Robbins invited me to, to address this whole group a couple of weeks ago. And I was there and had a wonderful time. But at the end of it, I said, you know, who will meditate every, every day? And most people in these groups raise their hands. I just love seeing people committing and then saying, I will not just be inspired in the abstract. I will be inspired to take concrete action in my life. You will literally feel yourself changing when you do. And that's the biggest gift, gift you can give yourself. Release that stress. And just, you know, when you do that, your full human potential starts to shine. All those parts of yourself that have been stuck and all of those limiting stories you start to let go of, then who you can be, the magnificence of you starts to come through. As you're hooked up to non-local mind and meditation as well, you get access to ideas and solutions and all kinds of knowledge, wisdom you don't have when you're stuck at, in the level of, of local mind. And then suddenly your life becomes way easier. You're living it in synchrony, not just with, with, with other people around you, but with the whole universe. And that's what I call a synchronous life. And that's what I so, so long for people to, to have. And it's so easy when you just raise your hand and say, I will do that. So if you're listening to this, what, what, what Dr. Joe's, Members, subscribers, please, I'm asking you to raise your hand now and make that commitment to meditating every day. That, that meditation is free, it's online. Go there, grab it, try it out. You will feel the shifts inside of yourself, but do that as your gift to yourself for the new year. Yeah, thank you for encouraging people to do that. And, you know, I, I don't believe that anyone would deny that there's great value in meditation. There's just been so much information. The practical strategy is, is how do you do it in a practical way? And you provided us with a great gift and resource on how to implement this. So thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's a great pleasure. And thank you again for the wonderful work you do. We'll keep on changing the world and see how people shift together. Thank you. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Be in joy. That's right.